Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Streaming services are on the rise, and -and brick-and-mortar video stores are a thing of the past. We have lost that experience of wandering the aisles and stumbling upon a film we've never heard of. We have replaced the familiar face behind the video store counter with an algorithm to recommend films. With more and more content available, 
it's harder to know what's worth watching and what might be a waste of your time. There are many hidden gems out there waiting to be discovered, and we want to help you find them. This is Trailer Rewind, a podcast where we discuss and review recently forgotten or overlooked films that are now available to stream at home. This month on Trailer Rewind, we are looking at two films about earthly exiles. In today's episode, we are going to be discussing Aniara. Welcome on board for Aniara. We are a top modern transport ship that is going to take you all the way from Jordan to Mars in three weeks. Today is February 18th, and Aniara is available on Hulu. Yes. So, JJ, we've got another Space Exile movie. This one, it's interesting overlap with our previously discussed film, High Life. Yes. Uh, but Aniara was released in 19 theaters Okay. on May 17th, 2019. I assume globally, though. This is the, because it's a Swedish movie. So this is not four theaters in the U.S. or 19 theaters in the U.S. This is... A much bigger... Oh, no, th- this is 19 theaters in the U.S. Oh, okay. Because that because what my sources we usually deal with... Just get the, the U.S. stuff. Okay, We get it. this... Yeah, I, when it comes to total box office, we, it may give us some global numbers, but usually on theatrical releases, we're talking domestic here in the States. Good. It was in theaters for less than one month and made a whopping $40,000 by the time it left theaters what? on June 13th. 40000 <laughs> Yes. Oh my goodness. And it hit digital and DVD on August 20th, 2019. Now, so High Life was a little bit earlier, but there was some overlap. Yeah. These were both in theaters at approximately the same time, which I find interesting because they're both about exiles in, in space. Right. This one I found a little bit more interesting in terms of identifying who this audience was for, because clearly we've got a foreign film, so there's a foreign market. This is probably mostly targeted towards. And it's the fact that Aniara is adapted from a book-length science fiction poem written by Swedish Nobel laureate Harry Martinson back in 1956. Okay. So I'm guessing a celebrated author, an adaptation of one of his works, I'm guessing there was probably a Swedish audience for this film. I'm going to include a link in the show notes to the PDF of the book that's available online because it's out of print in English. And you can probably go to eBay or Amazon and, and pay you know a hefty sum for it, but there is a version of it a PDF that's available online if you're in, interested in, in reading a book-length science fiction poem translated from Swedish. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like the the film was it was done in a poetic sort of way. So I think the you're asking who it's for. I think right. yeah. if you view sci-fi in that sort of dreamlike poetic way and uh, are ready for uh, some tragedy associated you know if if you're ready for the the starship enterprise to go off course and and what everyone's gonna have to deal with when it happens you might like this movie i it, i saw a world on imdb it says a worldwide gross of forty-two thousand. so i don't know uh, I, I either clearly they're not getting all the information there or this movie was just a huge miss <laughs> and uh, this is what's baffling to me uh, because i think this film works really well in addressing some concepts of human nature, culture, society. What made me really laugh 
though, at the beginning of this film, there is currently a series on HBO, a comedy series called Avenue 5. Oh, I'm not familiar. With Hugh Laurie. Okay. So Hugh Laurie is the captain of this ship, and it's a ship that's going, it's basically a galactic cruise ship. It's it's leaving from Earth, it's going to go around to Saturn and back, and something happens and it gets knocked off course. And so they're off and they can't get back on course. So my wife and I have been watching Avenue Five. We love Hugh Laurie. It's it's a, and Josh Gad is in it. Mm. It's a really funny movie of just how people react to like catastrophe it, with with comic tones to it. So I'm watching Aniara, and she's she's working on something else, but she's you know glancing over and, and watching bits and pieces. And she's like, "Is this Avenue Five like the Swedish serious version right. of it?" And I thought, well, clearly this story came first back in 1956. Is Avenue 5 an adaptation of this? No, it's it's not. But it may be inspired by that same concept of how does a group of people, because our ship in Aniara is basically its own culture. So if people out there are watching Avenue 5, you may want to take a look at Aniara for a different take on that same same subject matter. But there's no comedy. But there's no comedy here. But I think it does provide a compelling story about how people cope with, I guess, I don't want to say grief or mourning, but but tragedy. It is tragedy. And what behaviors people take and these kind of things. Because there's a diversity yes. of human experience that's explored in this movie that I think is, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting in a sort of metaphoric way about the way that worlds and cultures and civilizations are built. Because if you think of human pioneers and what they did you know, when we were exploring the planet. And this is a translation to that into the outer world. I think if you're into that sort of thing, that sort of world building, this movie is going to challenge you, but it's uh, it's got some great metaphors to the way that civilization came about for the human race. Yeah, I had a feeling this was going to hit you in a, a certain zone because, sure. as I recall, just movies that deal with trauma, grief, and, and human responses to that seem to be something that you're intrigued and, yeah. and interested in. And so I thought, Given that, plus, uh, you know, personally, I know you you do, you know, occasionally travel to Sweden, right? That's right. Two or four times a year. Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> a couple of touchstones with this film here. Right. I thought, you know, so next time you're over there, you can, you know, this is one of their, I, I believe maybe one of their celebrated pieces of literature. You may have some interesting conversations about. Yeah, I might need to look for it in a bookstore and see if I can pop it on yeah. our Discord channel because that, uh, that's super interesting. But yeah, this is... It's not a comedy. It's not light at all. It it does have some really brutal, graphic, in, intense moments to it. But overall, as a story as a whole, I found it, I don't want to say rewarding but or enjoyable, but everything seemed to work together coherently in this. And, and perhaps that comes from being adapted from a piece of literature that you know has scoped this story out, that there's something to work with to find these through lines. Everything seemed to I could track this this progression, and it wasn't necessarily a pleasurable experience seeing what everybody goes through, but I had a sense of progression and, and meaningful purposefulness in what this story was telling me. Right. And I felt the connection to the art here. I mean, that's the uh, thing. Yes. It's an artful movie. Yes. And it emotionally, it seems like a consistent emotion for the art that you're presented with. And that was something that I enjoyed about it. Once I had finished this one... This is a film that I'm looking forward to going back and viewing again. And I think people will hopefully be be drawn to this one. So for people that are interested in rating and ranking your movies, you can find us over on Flickchart and Letterboxd. I am Mr. Underscore Steve on both Flickchart and Letterboxd. So you can follow my ratings on 
Letterboxd and my rankings over there on Flickchart to see where this movie fell. For Flickchart, this one fell in a much higher spot than I anticipated. I think it perhaps had to do with a little bit of the... I I did more reflecting on this movie. And so it ended up at 134 out of 521. That's high for you, yeah. Which puts it just... I mean, it's... Aniara is at 134. All About Nina that we talked about last year. Yep. 135. The Revenant, 133. Okay. So that seems like the range for a movie like this. Yeah, for sure. So for me, a solid four stars. Oh, that's a big rating. That's really interesting. I really, really connected with this one and it I it resonated or spoke to me in a way that I was not anticipating. How how about how about you? Well, wait, would you consider that a like then? I assume you're saying it's a like. Oh yes. Oh yes. This is like I'm I'm really looking forward to to taking this journey another time with this film. That's interesting. So for me, um it's a bit higher than I would have thought for me too. Uh, It's at 156 out of 225. So still in the bottom half. But but again, I think it's a good movie. I think where it shows up in my flick chart is right in the middle of films that are are good, but not really, uh, can't really win competition (laughs) in my realm. Sure. sure. It's right underneath uh, Odd Thomas, which I think is good and enjoyable. Oh, yeah. And this is where the weird asymptote is, because it's right above Godzilla, which I think is okay and not enjoyable. So so I think Ani Arab goes into that thing. I think it's a really good movie. It was really hard for me to enjoy, but it's one that I really wanted to watch. And I would recommend this to people who, who want to who want to kind of take that ride with tragedy and sci-fi and that kind of thing, because it's, again, artful, it's foreign, it's something that you probably haven't seen before and has a great metaphor for human civilization. So I gave it actually, I gave it a three stars, even though, again, the algorithm says I should be way lower than that, but I gave it three stars, and but I, then I'm going to say it's a not like. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so I am scattered on this one completely. I, I think it's something I'm going to recommend, but it's nothing that I think that I'm going to see again. What's really interesting is digging into the numbers over on Letterboxd and, and Flickchart with this one. So our last film, in the, our first film in the series, High Life, had an average review on Letterboxd of 3.4. Aniara has a weighted average review of 3.45, but it's only based on 2,300 reviews. Whereas High Life had like 40,000 reviews. Right. Over at Flickchart, there's not a lot of information about this over over there because it's only been ranked 249 times. Total. Wow. Total. So when you rank a movie, you typically rank it like, I think, nine or ten times to get it placed. So if I divide that out, I'm thinking, okay, so like only like 25 people or so have ranked this movie. I mean, maybe one person ranked it twice. So a very small handful of people. Have, have ranked this movie. But the fact that on Letterboxd, those reviews are right where High Life is, um, puts it an interesting point of comparison to say, okay, in, in general, with a significant number of viewers, they're, they're putting it in the same place. Definitely. So we'll see where we go with this one. But listeners, if you think this is your kind of film and you don't want anything spoiled, this is your chance to pause the podcast and check out Aniara on Hulu. <laughs> Okay, JJ. Everybody that's listening now, they've either paused and have seen Aniara, are ready to delve into some insightful discussion, or they're just interested to hear what we have to say and, and want to know a little bit more about this one. Let's swing around the nearest celestial body and get back on track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many similarities in concept between these two movies of yeah. what happens when you have a group of people adrift in space with no purpose in life. Right. And 
this one tackles the larger, I guess, social structures because basically this is a huge cruise ship. Uh, I mean, it's got like a shopping center. I mean, it's got every. It's you take a you know a cruise ship and you throw it in outer space, and that's what we get here because yeah. it's basically a supposed to be this little vacation they take for a couple of weeks right. out in outer space. But when they get knocked off course, and now it's the potential of we will never make it home. For me, that pushed it into a really interesting sort of philosophical space of how do we define meaning and purpose in our life? If it's getting back home, but if if we never have the opportunity to return back home, what do we do with ourselves and how do people respond to that? Right. And it's all different. I mean, everybody has a different reaction and they all feel authentic. Yes. Oh, yeah. The positive, the negative, the yes. the, the the sort of stick it, just get get by it kind of idea, the political, this... It really takes a view of all different kinds of reactions to tragedy, and I think that's that's one of the wonderful things about this movie. Oh, and there and it has the the science fiction aspect of it. I mean, one of the key pieces to this story is, I mean, our our main character and her role and how that shift because she she runs like a, I don't even know what you call that that sp- space that she sort of. Is there to like... They call it the Mima. The, the Mima, but it's basically... And it's a, just this sort of AI holodeck, right? I mean... Right, sort of, but it's like beamed into your head. Yes. And so you you can basically close your eyes and you can see... It's, it's a way to re-experience Earth. Because clearly Earth is not... You know, people have had to flee Earth for, for whatever reason. And this is... They, they can see what Earth was once like. And what I found just sort of comical was at the beginning before catastrophe strikes... She's trying to, you know, do the little orientation speech. Oh, is anybody interested? And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a nice thing, but that that many people are interested. Once the ship's off course and there's no no hope of getting back home, it's several years down the road. Right. Everybody starts showing up. Yeah. Because it's like this is their escape now. How right. how do I get away from the dreariness and and you know, depression of this where we are? Oh, I'll go in there. And so she's got to she's asked the the captain for for more crew to help her out and what was sort of thought of as just a a little maybe entertainment thing has now become essential to people's like mental health right yeah which was was fascinating to me and and so this woman the what is it? she's the mima mima robe mima robe is, is her is her title but we basically follow her story and we see things through her perspective in terms of where we are within society on the ship so she's a crew member, but she interacts with the public a lot, which I think gives us an ideal entry point to this story so that we get to see both sides of things. Yep. We get interactions with, with the staff. And one of the key characters that she interacts with a lot is the astronomer. And early on when the well, ship... because they're, they're roomed together. Well, they're, they're roomed together. But yeah, so early on, there's the... The captain has to tell it, you know, tells everybody they've been knocked off course, but they down down the way... There is a way that they will be able to slingshot around another planet, but it's going to be several years down the road. But we get interesting conversation with the astronomer that is going to be really crucial for every as she shares her thoughts about what the possibilities are for the ship and the crew. Vad sa du? Nej, jag sa ingenting. Därför att jag anar ingenting. Nej. Så du hade koll på sånt? Jag har koll på sånt. Svaret är ingen. 
ingen. Nej. Va? Vi kommer inte kunna vända vid någon himla kropp. Du skämtar. GM54 är det som vi kommer närmast. Men det finns inte en chans att vi kan komma åt ens massa. Måste piloterna kunna ta räknas för länge sedan? So, this was a really compelling moment to me because it's not the captain of the ship, it's the astronomer and who's questioning like what the captain is doing on the bridge, like what is going, why are these decisions being made if there is no hope, you know, there... It re- reinforced the idea that space is so vast. Oh, yeah. For me. There's a lot of those in this movie. Right. Yeah. Where it's just, oh, yeah, we're going to... And you think about it, it's it's called space because that's all there is. And for them to lie to people and say, oh, yeah, we're going to hit this thing. There's a planet out there. There's a there's something we're going to be able to slingshot around for the astronomer to say, no, there's there's not. And you think about it, it's like, well, how how big is space? What are the odds? And realizing... Oh, they're they're in trouble. Right. But it it, it got to, to me it put the captain it sort of set in motion some things to, to question like what the captain's ultimate game is and what his role and responsibility is to the passengers on a ship which is to to give them hope, right? To give without that what will happen on a ship? He's got to maintain order on his ship. So what are the things that he does to try to maintain that order? What are the, I guess, you know, sort of societal rituals that we have to maintain so that we continue to be a, a society and interact with each other in a in a humane way? And for him, it's, you're going to have to deceive people or, or, or create false hopes so that there's something to live for. Because if people don't have anything to live for, what's going to happen? Well, and he does that in a, in an okay way. And I think one of the interesting things about his choices is that it reveals how the sort of right-minded or the appropriate goal, potentially, to keep this place in order also leads to some sort of challenges or some corruptions of authority. It's almost impossible for him to make the right choice for everyone. So he's making it for this sort of goal that you mentioned about keeping the peace or keeping the order or keeping morale high. Yeah. But there's many times in the film that you see, you know, because we're watching it from the Mima Robes perspective, really. I mean, she's, right. our, she's our lead. You see many times where he's fallen flat because that sort of singular goal is not necessarily always the right thing to do. And I think, I think that's really interesting and, and an interesting commentary about politics, about power, and about the necessity for leadership that I think is something that's really, uh, it's really deep in this movie. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, see, this one, it's such a simple story, but there's there's so much to just dig into on this because I guess it's it's about human nature, society. But even as I stepped back and thought, okay, you've got the captain and what does he represent in society? Who is the astronomer? The astronomer is the scientist and the scientists are about facts. Yep. And what happens if we just, you know, if we get the unvarnished truth all the time, that's not necessarily always the best for a society to have exactly. that information and sort of how does the captain balance that out? And as I watched this movie, I kept wanting to come back to these bits and pieces over and over about just how spot on it was. We get a we get a weird religious cult that gets started up. Yeah. You know, in response, uh, the the Mimarobe, she realizes that one of the things that's probably just really weighing on everybody is when they look out the window and it's just endless space. Right. So she wants to create this uh, illusory shield to help everybody. Right. Yeah. These these projections out there of, because, you know, she knows that's why they come into Mima is they can see 
forests, trees, rivers, and so if that's out there. So she wants to build a projection out there so that people have something different to look at to break up the monotony. But, you know, she gets, I mean, she gets arrested. I mean, there's so much, there's just so much that <laughs> happens. And I, I love the structure because we haven't even talked about sort of our little title cards that come up. They give us our, our dates in time of like at, at one year or two years or three years. Then we, we start to make larger leaps, you know, at, at five years. Right. Where are we? And we, we get the same characters over and over again. We've got Mimarob and her, her girlfriend got the uh, astronomer we've got the captain we've got some some other familiar people and we sort of see how they've changed over time but also how the ship has changed you know, from being this sort of cruise ship to abandoned hallways with just piles of garbage as people have just retreated into either their rooms or right. we lose people yes in one year there's just like a, a rash of suicides Mm-hmm. So things are are continually changing, and to me, it it just captured so honestly human nature's response to when when things, I guess, are unexpected tragedies. And I, I will always come back to that. And it's been cycled in history. I mean, that's one of the things. I, one of my favorite books that I've read over the last five years is this book called The Watchman's Rattle by Rebecca Costa. And she goes into the sort of stories that happen in history when we have these grand civilizations and then they collapse. And quite often, they follow this pattern that you see with these group of people that as they're drifting through space, they go for. They sort of, at some point, they sort of devolve into this sort of spirituality that they think that if they sacrifice themselves or if they do something that's terribly human, that something actually will come of it in terms of their salvation. And a lot of times in history, what it's always turned into, it's always been about drought and it's always been about human sacrifice. Those two things are always what lead to the collapse of of major cultures. But in this, you see when, when all of a sudden all the cults start up and they all kind of go in their own way and very strange. And it's just sort of the kind of human response to trying to deal with the things that we can't control and the things that we can't figure out on our own. This movie is a great sort of metaphor for civilization and collapse. And really, it's a metaphor for humanity. And I think it's really, really interesting to go on this ride with these people, even though it is beset on all sides by tragedy. Yeah. And that's, yes, there. <laughs> Summed it up perfectly. Just, I mean, continuous tragedy. And I'm going to come back to one one other scene with the astronomer, which, and I, I do, can't remember exactly which year this is, but it's, it sort of captures the feeling that everybody has in terms of making progress towards getting closer to the destination. Can you see it blow somehow? If you think that them are Aniara, so can you understand something about Rymdens? Storlek. Därför att i ett glas så rör sig en blåsa framåt oändligt långsamt. På samma sätt rör vi oss framåt. Men fastän vi har en otroligt hög fart så är det precis som om vi står alldeles still. Mm. Här har du oss. En liten blåsa i Godsandes glas. I loved that comparison to the bubble in the glass because everybody, people don't know. I was, I was a big science, you know, nerd in school. So, I mean, but glass is a liquid. It's a very, very slow moving liquid. If you go to like, Interesting. if you go to ancient, you know, really old cathedrals in the stained glass windows, the stained glass, if it's, you know, original, the glass will be thicker at the bottom and much thinner at the top because it, over centuries, has slowly flowed. So glass is actually a liquid that is just very, very slow moving. 
So this analogy of the bubble moving through the glass infinitely slowly, that's as the analogy for we're this tiny ship in space and it's so vast that we're moving, but it's imperceptible. Well, and it's impossible for the human brain to understand oh, yes. the vastness of space. And that's the thing I think yes. the astronomer you mentioned before that sort of having that knowledge doesn't help anyone survive. It doesn't help her right. to have no. a nice living. But I mean, <laughs> the way she describes it is wonderful in this scene and, and really this sort of concept that we have in this human nature piece of us thinking, that if we drift or if we go long enough that we'll find something. I think that's something that we need to feel. But the reality of space is it's just so massive and there's just, it's so unlikely for us to come in contact with anything, let alone a celestial body that we can whip ourselves around and hit our way back to on track. But yes, uh, yeah, I think that is... That, that's It's a perfect scene to explain the despair that knowledge brings upon people in this situation. It's not soon after that, I think, that they detect an object moving moving toward them. Oh, right, right. And and that they think it's, you know, they're not sure what it is. And then they assume that it's been like, a, it's a rescue attempt, that they're going to, it's it's fuel so they can turn the ship. It's something that's going to help them turn. And then they, they go through this elaborate scheme to how are they going to catch this and bring it in, which to me was fascinating. Looking at, as time goes on, training the kids, it's the next generation. They have to start planning for these things. If we have to have educators, we've got to, we're going to train these kids to, I have no idea why they are on the ship, but these big retractable claws that they go out and, you know, grab this cylinder that's, that's there. But this they, is one of the problems that I have with this part of the story. They have the knowledge of how to stop it, right? Okay. So they assume it's this right. probe. They assume it's going to have fuel, which even when they made that assumption, I was like, oh, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but then they have the knowledge to catch it and they have the tools to catch it. Yes. But then they bring it on board in this elaborate, difficult thing and they can't do anything with it. Yes. And so my interpretation of that was it's not a probe. What it's is it? Not, it wasn't actually sent there. It, my interpretation and understanding was it was some, uh, they're so far out there, they stumbled across some other life forms, something. Because they said they, they couldn't even identify what the substance it was made of. And I thought, they haven't been out so long. It hasn't been centuries. We don't have like... Ti- yeah, it was only five years at that point, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, so maybe right. five or, or ten or something. Yeah, but so not enough that there had been so much scientific advancement because then it also had to be launched and catch up with them. And we don't have like a time distortion field going on where, oh, hundreds of years have passed at Earth and it's, it's catching up. So my interpretation is it's some unknown flying object. It's a, it's a UFO out there uh, from some, somebody else out in space since they're out there and they happen to stumble across something, another piece of space junk from, I, I don't know, but the fact that they couldn't identify what it was made out of and they couldn't open it led me to believe it. It was hinting at other origins. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. But then I still, it still bothers me that they give up on it. It's just a thing. I mean, it's just the same sort of foreign object damage that 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 damaged the ship in the in the first place. It's just they uh, through all this time. I mean, it, well, you know, it it it's part of the essay in despair that that the whole film is meant to be. Right. But it was. It was frustrating to me that this sort of life raft that they just gave up on, and it's just sitting there in the hull. I mean, that's yeah. Even when we get to later years, it's still sitting there. Nothing has happened from it. Well, for me, it served the purpose and the catalyst for the captain to finally have to take action against the astronomer because here was like the hope that everyone had, and then the realization that it isn't that source of hope, and he's got to silence the astronomer. 
because it seems like every time she's undermining things, she's spreading rumors, she's, you know, telling the truth as it is. Like, there is no celestial body to turn around. We're going to keep going forever. And, you know, now it's the, oh, well, what we thought was our saving grace here with a fuel source isn't. And he knows that whether it's through just honesty or her practicality or just the need to speak truth and facts, he can't have that because the devastating effect that he anticipates that having on everybody of, oh, it's going to take us a while to open it. Oh, no, we're ne- nothing's changing. And he, he eliminates the astronomer. He kills her. Which I, w- I, was, I was surprised, but as I sort of reflect on this, I thought that's, that's what has to happen. That's the way the world works of when there is that ultimate threat to peace, the powers in control will yeah, silence those. That's the hard pill to swallow, but you're not wrong. So it, it progresses. I mean, we've got so many things that I connect to high life. Oh, sure. Yeah. As well on this, because we pick both these because they seem to focus on exiles in space. And I wanted to look at similar moments in each of these, because we, we do have a child that's born on the ship. It, <laughs> as my wife was watching in the background and we get to the sort of religious cult sex orgy, she thought, well, somebody's going to get pregnant from this. I mean, come on. And of course, it's the reluctant lesbian that gets pregnant. It was just ugh, terribly Yes. Yes. So we've, we've got that, the responsibility of raising a child with, and this one with much more tragic consequences where despair leads to, you know, a murder, suicide. Yeah. Which was devastating. Oh, that was a really tough scene in this movie. Oh, that, oh, that was, yeah, there's, there's quite a few of those for, for me in this, yeah. but, and I can't say that the ending is any more redeeming no. than High Life. But to me, it's more, for lack of a better term, logical, um, because I got the sense of where we're going. Because by the time we get, I mean, I loved coming back to the title cards, five years, 10 years. Then I think we're at, and there's there's names for each of these, which we get a little snapshot of what's going on, whether it's like an insurrection or the cults or something. And then we end up at, I don't know, what is it? Is it 25 or something years or 50, 45 years or something like that, where it's like, there's, it's like the last, because they're running out of food or water and it's just the last people. And then it jumps forward to like, what is it? Like 4,000 years. Yeah. When it actually at the end, spoiler. Oh, the last one is, isn't it like 5 million years? No. It's something really, really high. It's a huge leap. I mean, and clearly with the... Oh, no, you're right. You're you're right. I'm sorry. I'm I'm looking here. Yes. In year 24 of the voyage... They sort of just... They're just blinded and sitting around in a circle. Sitting around, and then you're right. Six million years later. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it it reaches another... And it's clearly to show that no one could have survived, first of all. Right, yes. And also that... And and it's a direct point back to the astronomer's point in talking about the bubble in the glass. Yes. That it's impossible for us to understand the millions of years necessary to happen upon another planet in the universe. But for me, that that was a fulfilling and rewarding closure to this movie, whereas High Life... Can you use a different word than rewarding? (laughs) It was fulfilling and (laughs) satisfactory. Satisfactory? It it closed the loop. It's something. Yes, it closed the loop. Yes, it did close the loop, whereas High Life was a little bit more open-ended. And again, I wasn't sure what it was saying. This followed through. I, maybe I should yeah. say that. It followed through on the promise from the beginning of there's there's nothing. It, it's an endless voyage. There, no one's going to survive. But, I mean... A three-week tour, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's what it is. Right, yes. It was supposed to be. 
But it, it raises all these questions of making meaning out of life because I thought, what is the difference between the Aniara on a straight trajectory towards nothing versus the Earth in an endless orbit around the sun, which just is cyclical. It just keeps going around and around the sun. It's an endless journey. So what makes Earth different from Aniara? Nothing. And that's the beautiful part of this movie. The astronomer is the parallel to the philosophers who have realized that life is nothingness, right? I mean, and then, you know, the captain is the parallel to these sort of leaders in history that say, yes, life is nothingness, but we're going to make something of it, you know, this kind of thing. And I think that's the real sort of wonderful layered metaphor that this piece is. And the captain even says it at one point to the Mima robe. He says, we've made our own little planet here, planet Aniara. And it's just like, ugh. Yes, it's all of humanity in both its wonder and grossness. So, is that what both films give us? Uh, both? I mean, if, we, if, we, if we're going to compare these, do, if we look at High Life and Aniara, I mean, are, are these films that are, are comparable, or are they just, they're each their own thing? Or you, would you say, oh, they're tackling similar enough themes that it, it merits comparison to say, I think this one executed on the, on the concept better than this one? Or is it... They're trying to accomplish different things, so there's not really the sense to attempt to compare them because they're they're seeking to to do different things or say different. I think it's things. definitely appropriate to compare them. It definitely just just because of the setting and and the things that brought us to them. I think one of the things that's difficult in the execution of the two films is that High Life is more obtuse in the way it's trying to draw comparisons to uh, everyday life, and it doesn't do enough to really make the connection to how we would see, uh, you know, uh, every, uh, and every person making their way through the sort of despair that comes with this sort of way of being stranded in space. I think Aniara does a great job of taking this sort of macro metaphor message, and there are direct parallels. I think it's very accessible for people to get in and realize their place in the world and their place that they might end up in this tragedy, and then how it might all relate to their everyday life. So. I understand the reason why they're they're similar. I just think that it, that high life was limited, and Aniara seems really sort of open and unlimited in a, in a positive way. Okay, yeah, I I think that's that's fair. There's also sort of embedded within Aniara a little bit, and I because it's tackling larger themes. I think it got a little buried and lost, but I I think in the beginning of the film there's a little bit of an environmental statement about you know earth being yeah it's not inhabitable anymore i'm not sure i feel about well there's and there's lots of burn victims that are on the that are on the ship which i think that's an interesting take on the way of the world yes but but is that i mean because i think the the larger message of the story is about finding that meaning in the everyday not oh this is a cautionary tale that if we don't do something about taking care of the earth environmentally we're going to end up on Aniara drifting aimlessly about the universe. And I, I can't make that connection to it. I, I think it's it's not a cause and effect piece of, hey, we better do something about caring for the earth or else this will happen to us because I, I can't say that's, you know, it was a weird, unusual, you know, accident that sent them off course. Yep. But I think there is, for me, I it was buried enough in there that I thought, okay, it's there. If if people want to make something of it, it's there. But for me, it was it was the much more larger philosophical questions that were more redeeming to this. I completely agree with you. And I think it's indicative of the fact that the Swedes believe that there's nothing that we can do 
about climate change, that it's going to happen. And this is more a philosophical story about how even as we move to change or move to escape, we're going to be beset by the same difficulties that we have on this planet today. But I think that's, I mean, it's indicative of that, of that piece. I mean, it, most of Europe uh, is is wholly believing in, in climate change at this point, and most of the skeptics live in this country, so. Okay. Well, there are, I did find some interesting materials for Aniara. Oh, great. Uh, that I'm going to include in, include in the in the show notes as well. There's, there's some of the, like, not every film has this type of stuff, but there's like marketing and, and materials that are that are available that sort of get into the, I think for lack of a better term, what, what they're trying to communicate about the film or the, uh, the message in that. So the, I'm going to include some of that information in the, in the show notes as well, because there's sort of like their, you know, director statement and all of that. But yeah, this, uh, say after sort of tackling this new approach to Trailer Rewind, I, th- I think it was, it was fun being able to look at two films that, that touch on, on similar themes like this, and it gives us a little different filter. And for me, it, I'm curious as to whether watching High Life first raised or heightened my evaluation of Aniara by merit of, well, this one was a disappointing take on the Exiles in Space, whereas Aniara, again, not a, a positive enjoyable <laughs> reward, or rewarding view, but just seemed a, a better put together film or, or just clearly communicated what it wanted to say to its audience. Uh, I think so. Definitely. I think to answer your question, High Life First will set you up in a, uh, in a lower expectation mode for Aniara and it will kind of prime the pump for making connections, which definitely helps in watching yes. a foreign film like this. Okay. Well, if any of our listeners out there do jump into Aniara without watching High Life, I would love to hear your feedback and see how this film stands up on its own. I'm it's not one that I feel like I'm in a good position to have any of my other family members <laughs> really watch the whole thing to say, "Hey, you're seeing that you're not going to watch High Life, but I'm going to have you watch this one. How do you feel?" Cuz I don't think I want to as I said my wife half paid attention to this it's definitely not something I'm putting either of my kids through, even though they're both nearly adults here. It's nothing that I feel like I want to burden them with this uh, like existential <laughs> fear and, and uh, anxiety right. um, on yeah. them. Yeah, you should do High Life, then Aniara, and then follow it up with Mother. And that would be an interesting <laughs> way to go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, JJ, this has been a lot of fun talking about these two these two movies and uh, having a having a great conversation. Yet two of a kind in the in the trailer rewind. And next month we're going to have two more movies with a d- different theme, and I'll try to get some info out uh, out there about where we're going to be going. But uh, this is the direction for uh, trailer rewind for th- what we're calling this season is doing uh, two films on a on a common theme and tackling them two at a time in a month. So uh, everybody. Thank you for listening to our first uh, series in this new season. I love it. See you later. Thank you for listening to Trailer Rewind. If anything we said here entertained, educated, or even enraged you, we'd like you to tell people about this podcast. Whatever your listening platform is, please share, rate, or write a short review. It helps other podcast listeners find us. If you enjoy connecting with other film fans, you can become a member of our community on Discord. It's free, and there's always an interesting dialogue or debate to jump into. You can also financially support us on Patreon. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive Discord channels, the opportunity to chat with us live before we record an episode, 
and the warm feeling you get knowing you are contributing support to the behind-the-scenes resources that help everyone here at the Next Real Family of Podcasts. So please join us on Discord or become a Patreon supporter. Either way, we would love to have you be part of our community. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.